for today's evening. Uh, we're going to talk about something that we're all incredibly good at. In fact, we've been good at it from the moment that we were born. We're good at it, we all do it, and we all do it all the time. Praying. Isn't that right? We're accomplished. We're experts. And why are you all looking at me as if that's the punchline to a bad joke? Hmm. Well, praying, actually, to be honest with you, we are brilliant at uh, we do it all the time, we do it in all kinds of places, to all kinds of things, and for all kinds of reasons, because prayer, at the most basic level, is simply this, it is asking, asking for something, asking somebody or something to deliver something to us, to give us something that on our own we're not capable of delivering ourselves, so it could be something that will make our life feel better, provide us with success, fill us with hope, give us what we need just to get through the next couple of days. Continue to give us what we're enjoying so much at the time. We will look to things or to people and say, give me, please, will you? In some sense, we're DNA wired to be dependent kind of people. We're all looking for something that will help us with that. That's what faith is, isn't it? Faith is inviting something to be that source of life, source of strength, source of hope, source, source of buoyancy as we go out into the world. So we'll ask all kinds of things and all kinds of people for some kind of life. Now that's what prayer is. But we're in a Christian church and somebody who I haven't mentioned yet. And that's because I think when we're very, very honest, we're very good at asking everything else that we see around us or everybody else around us to in some sense be our strength and our hope except the very one who is the very source of strength, hope and life, which is the God who made us and the God who loves us. We stink at it, don't we? We're just really bad at it. Maybe that says something about us and the fact that we, we think our, uh, we hedge our bets and we'll go for what we think will deliver and we're, we're, we're too easily pleased in that regard. I'm not quite sure, but I tell you, if the reason I have to preach a, a sermon on prayer about, well, once every few months, the last one was in June. And the reason I have to preach a sermon on prayer really is not so much for you, it's more for me. Because my heart naturally drifts towards the idea of just trying to rely on what I can see that and feels most immediate. And for some reason I am happier to ask other things and depend on other things than I am upon the God who is the source of life and hope and joy. In fact, this, uh, this is the, one of the best books I've ever read on prayer. I'd recommend it to you. I know a couple of you have um, asked me for this recommendation before. A Praying Life by a guy called Miller. Very accessible, very worth reading. And he said this on, on one of the pages. He says, One of the subtlest hindrances to prayer is probably the most pervasive. In other words, it's everywhere. Because we, can do, we think that we can do life without God. Praying seems nice but unnecessary. Money can do what prayer does. And it's quicker and less time-consuming. Our trust in ourselves and in our talents make us structurally independent of God. And as a result, people standing and exhorting and encouraging us to pray just doesn't stick. That's right, isn't it? I stand here until I'm blue in the face going, Pray! 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 But you'll only pray to God if you think that he's the only one who can help. He's the only one that can really actually fit the needs of your life and answer them. Otherwise you will be asking everywhere else. So I wonder whether you get that. We're asking everything but the one who we should ask, aren't we? But not 
the Apostle Paul here in the letter to the Ephesians, and that's why I made that we can be open in this today. I'm sure he wouldn't have claimed that he's arrived and that he's nailed it, but he's certainly headed in the right idea. In fact, in verse 16 we see, I remember you in my prayer. So he's asking, and he's asking God. I keep asking, verse 17. Verse 18, I pray also. So we all ask, we all know that we need, we all know that we haven't made it, we all know that we haven't arrived, we all know that there's yet somewhere to go, we all know that when you go around a church, you won't find any person who sits in a church for a while ever saying, well, I didn't know I was supposed to talk to God. We all know it, don't we? It's written into us to ask. But here we find the Apostle Paul giving us a model that helps us to understand why it is that the only thing that makes sense is to go to our Heavenly Father. And can I tell you, it's only when you own that that you'll actually become somebody who's a regular in praying. For me, it's when I forget that that I think I can get through the day without going to the only source of life, without asking Him. So we're going to see four things from this little text. Uh, this is a topical sermon, so for those of you who are looking for me to go exactly verse by verse, I'm not going to do it go verse by verse. I'm going to pick out some of the themes here. Okay? Uh, so the four things we're going to look at, they come up behind. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Because we need to be involved in that thing, but we've got to be Okay. What is prayer? Uh, have we got prayer? I mean, do we get it? How, if, we, if, if we do get it, how, or if we do want to get it, how do we get it? And what do we do with it? Yeah? Alright, let's see how we get on. Firstly, what is prayer? Now, the difficulty here is that um, we're not Greek scholars, and in Greek, which is the original letter language that this was written in, um, they didn't have full stops and capital letters, they just had big long sentences that lasted for about a thousand words. So this little bit we're looking at here, I understand in the Greek, is just two or three sentences. But they've broken it up to make it easier for us to be able to understand it. And in terms of what is, if you like, the beating heart of these big sentences, I'm going to try and summarise it as this, and I'll show you where it is. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you are called, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So let me summarise that for you. He's praying for them. I pray that you may know his riches. Do you get that? I pray that you may know his riches, his abundance of life, about how he's the only one you really want to go and ask. He say, hold on, aren't these guys who is right to believers? Don't they already know that? And in some sense, that's right, isn't it? When somebody decides to name Jesus for their king, in some little way, they do know something of God's amazing riches and his grace. That's why they're drawn to the Lord Jesus. His forgiveness. His grace to us. His promise to us that he will never leave us or forsake us. His promise to us that he will give us an inheritance that cannot perish, spoil or fade that is kept for us. So we know something of it, but he's looking at these believers, who, to be honest with you, I have a mayor, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. And he's saying, this is the one thing. This is the big thing that I will pray for you. Did you get how rich you are if you are joined to Jesus? Now these were Christians who were struggling. They were overwhelmed. Some of them were being abused by the local community. Um, some of them were facing illness, some of them were facing struggle, some of them were facing financial difficulties, relationship 
mix-ups, they couldn't find the, navigate their way through, some were nursing broken hearts, some were dealing with disappointments, some were weighed down by one thing or another. And the Apostle Paul would pick up in this letter, he knew a lot of what was going on. Now don't get me wrong, in the Bible it tells us to pray for each of those things, bring our cares and concerns to the Lord, ask for practical, specific things. But that's not what Paul prays here, is it? He says, I pray above all things that you would get how safe, secure, life full, rich, catered for, needs met you are in Jesus. All those other things are being big on your horizon. And you've blanked out the massive thing. Have you noticed how the dinky little moon can block out the sun? He says, listen, the dinky little moon of whatever it is you're facing has blocked out the huge burning ball of God's love and grace. The burning sun. And if you fix that, if you can just see that, then you'll be alright. I know that you say and instinctively want to pray, Lord, just fix this problem and I'll be okay. The Lord doesn't say, right, I'll fix that problem and then you'll be okay. Because you'll be okay until the next thing comes along, won't you? He says that the big thing that we all need here is to realise how rich we are if we have got Jesus as our King. We go to things and say, Lord, give me life. And life means um, paying the bills. Life means dealing with that problem. Life means fixing that relationship. Life means getting on with that person. Life means being successful there. Life means having an... And he goes, no. If you depend on those things as your life, they'll only flatten you. There's only one place where you were made to go and get life, and that was me. And I've given it you. You've just got to grasp a hold of it. And so Paul models for us here... What is prayer? Prayer is connecting yourself to that wonderful love and grace of God. Whenever life is out of control, the Apostle Paul, who knew, prays this for people. Do you pray that for people? Or do you pray, Lord, fix their hemorrhoids? And maybe you should pray that. That's not their biggest problem. Their biggest problem is that their problems have blocked out the love of God. See, they might know the riches of Christ, his power and his calling, and if you do know that, that's what you want to instinctively ask for, isn't it? You do want to do that. You want to turn to that. This is the thing that if you get it, and you know it deep within inside yourself, you can handle almost anything. So do you pray that for yourself? Is that what you pray for? Or are you still asking your circumstances to get fixed, and people and things around you to get fixed? And those aren't bad things to pray, but that can't be the big thing. Now we really think sometimes that we can control our circumstances in our lives and the direction of our families and the direction of our church and the way we do the Noah's Project and reaching this community. We really sometimes have this belief that we can fix that. And so I found this quote. If you're not praying to know his riches, then it is because you are quietly confident that time, money, talent, or even makeup can meet all your asks. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. But if, like Paul, you realise that you can't do life without the riches that Christ alone provides, his hope, the hope of him in your heart, then no matter how busy you are, no matter how tired you are, you will pray to him, won't you? That's just sense, isn't it? You'll go where the life is. If you're thirsty, you'll go where you think you can find water. So what is prayer? 
prayer is depending on him as your riches as you were made to. Oh, next? Do you want to pray now? Shall we have a pause and a pray? Ah, maybe. We'll pause that for a minute. Okay, so here we go. Second point. We say, what is prayer? Well, okay, this is the big question. Have you got prayer? Let me reread that verses 17 through to 22. You okay? You honest? I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Okay, again he's saying this, right? He prays for believers that they would get what they have. Did you get that? To know what they have. And you say, hold on, Steve, that sounds a bit silly, doesn't it? Does it? There was a, a well-known preacher down in London, um, very big church, prominent. He kicked the bucket a couple of um, couple of decades ago, but still his legacy lives on, particularly in his way in which he could help believers who weren't standing on the gospel. So back in the old days, it wasn't that the pastor would mill around, sort of in the congregation. For some reason, the pastor would sort of like be scooted off down a corridor to his office, and then people would like queue up outside his office like some sort of therapist. They'd come in tell him his woes, and he'd say, right, next! And it would be like some sort of conveyor belt. This guy had plenty. But then often he'd just say from the pulpit, I'm now going to tell you what any of you queue up, I'm going to tell you. And this was it. So they'd come along, people would come up troubled, insecure, not worried whether they'd done enough for God to love them, worried about issues they were facing in their life, that kind of thing. And he'd say, okay, hold on a minute. Let me ask you this question. Um, Are you a Christian? And quite most of them, he's saying, just stand there, scratch their head and say, hmm, well, I'm trying to be. And that was the killer, wasn't it? There and then, you could tell whether or not they understood what it meant to be a Christian. Have you picked up what's wrong with saying, well, I'm trying to be? Do you you know enough about the Christian faith to know that? To say, I'm trying to be, assumes that in some way, to be a Christian is based on how you perform what you do, your achievements, whether you match up with some moral standard or not. And what this pastor knows, and what Paul knows here, is that actually to be a Christian isn't to have ticked off all these things and then you feel secure. It means that you have been secured by the action of another. The Lord Jesus Christ has done all the achieving so that the likes of you and me, though we be failures and though we mess up and though we don't say the things that we wish we did, and though we don't treat God the way we wish we did, people like us can be secure in status with God independent of our performance. And so when somebody says, well, I'm trying to be, what are they still relying on? Their own performance. Can I tell you, that will crush you. It'll kill you. It'll mean you won't want to come to church. And I wouldn't want to go to a place where they say you only get in with God by being this, 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 and this. But if you get the gospel and say, do you know what, i failed, I've messed up again, I'm struggling, I'm not what I wish I was, yet Christ, knowing the worst about me, died to pay for my sins so that I could be reunited with the God who made me and loved me. So when somebody comes to me and says, are you a Christian? What should I be saying? I should be saying, it's not so over by his grace. Even me, even me, I can be a believer. I can be wedded to Jesus. Because of what he has done for me, 
And Paul is praying here, have you got that? He prays that they would know it, that the believers would get what they have, that they're secure. Because we're, we're all spiritual amnesiacs, aren't we? It takes round about 15 and a half minutes at the end of the service before you've forgotten who you are in Jesus. And you come back next Sunday again, oh, Steve, tell us about who we are in Jesus. And then he runs out, oh, Steve, tell us about who we are in Jesus. Oh, in praise! I don't just want to know on a Sunday, I want to know it through all a week. Oh Lord, would you burn it into my heart, write me in a beam, that the eyes of my heart may be seeing who it is that you've made me. So Paul prays this, that they would get it. Because he realises that too many believers are living as ugly ducklings when in Jesus Christ they've been turned into swans. I just think that's amazing. The only set of eyes in the whole universe that matters say that through what Jesus has done for me, I'm alright. You can't buy that anyone else. You ask that on lots of things, don't you? Whether it's the smartness of your lawn or the size of your car or the shape and size of your dress or the job that you've got. None of them can declare over you, you're alright with me. But Jesus does. So have you got those riches? Have you understood it? Verse 18, have you understood that you are called? That he has called you? Do you realise that? It means it's by sheer grace. It's not by anything that we do. So when I talk to somebody who's not a believer in Jesus, I'm suddenly not surprised if they're a better person than me. I hope in many ways that Jesus worked in my life so much that I'm growing, but if they're a better person than me, I'm not surprised. Because I'm not called because I'm a good person, I'm called because God is gracious. I have hope as well. It means I have hope for that person. In fact, if I look out, you know, and I walk down the street, see some scallywags kicking rocks and chucking stuff around and graffiti on the nose, I never say, well, they'd never be a Christian. Because if I say, well, they could never become a Christian, I've not understood that it was a total miracle for me to be a Christian. I'm only a Christian because he's done a miracle in my heart, and if he can do it in me, he can do it in them. I'm not the Christian type. Neither are you, and neither are they. He calls it's by sheer grace. Have you got that? If ever I forget that, Paul say, no, remember it. Remember it. Live in it. Live in it. He talks about an inheritance. Now, inheritance is, how do we get an inheritance? How do you get an inheritance? Sorry? Passed down from who? Generation. Somebody who you are related to, fixed to. We can't change our generations and our family and who, who we fit. It, it, it's, we're just stuck with it. It's there. But it's on the basis of a relationship with somebody that we get a great benefit, don't we? Did you notice here? For this reason, ever since I've heard about you and your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I shouldn't take a breath there because it's not. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father. It's because we've been reunited in relationship to our Father that we get an inheritance. We are are his kids. He is our Father. Prayer isn't some sort of technique. Prayer is a relationship and an enjoyment of that relationship. He's our dad. And have you got any idea how safe that makes us? How safe you are and how that banishes fear and anxiety, worry and fretting about the future? 
So quite often my little three-year-old will ask me as a 34-year-old and say, Daddy, can I have that? Want that? Like that? Need that? Must have that? That? Definitely. And you can see that the reason they've gone, want that, want that, want that, want that, want that, want that, is because they think that, well, that's the thing they want to ask to me on. If I get that, woohoo! If I don't get that, woohoo! <sighs> Am I the only one who's been shopping in Toys R Us? Um, and so here's the, I'm 30 years old, but they think they know what they need. Don't they? And what do they do if they don't think like my children? I'm sure your children wouldn't do this. What do they do when they don't get what they want? Fight, cry, steal, anything. <laughs> the things that have been loaded into my kids' pockets when we walked out of the shops before, okay? Did you think? Because they think they know. So I said, oh, sorry, my dude. No, you can't have that. It, well, if I let you go there, you might die. Uh, if I let you put your hand in that plug socket, you'll light up like a Christmas tree. I'm sorry. What did I do? Kick, scream? You don't love me, Dad! No, it's because I love you that I don't give you what you want. Because if I gave you what you want, it would ruin you. He gives us, in prayer, everything that we, sh- we would ask for if we knew all that he knew. Do you get that? Sometimes when we pray, it's a yes. Sometimes it's a no, and sometimes it's a wait. But he gives us what we would ask for if we knew everything that our Heavenly Father knew. Aren't you glad that your future doesn't have to sit in your hands? Please, do you you know what worry and anxiety is? Do you know what that is? Worrying and and anxiety is being a spiritual three-year-old thinking we know what we need and God isn't going to give it to us. It's true, isn't it? That's why we stay fretting. Do you know what bitterness is? Bitterness is being a spiritual three-year-old saying, God, you've got it wrong. You've let me down. Do you get that? But there's more here. Oh, do you know what? I'm going to have to miss that little bit out. Hold on. Oh, it's just so exciting to know we've got a heavenly father. Anyway, where was I? Right. Okay, right. What does this mean for you? If you start to get what Paul wants you to get, if you don't just know, but increasingly you're knowing it more and more, you'll never say, God, I know, I know God loves me, but that's not enough. Have you ever said that? Oh, here's the pastor again. He's going to tell me that Jesus loves me and I'm feeling like that's the last thing I want to hear. You'll never say, I know God loves me, but that isn't enough. You'll never say that. It only goes to show, if you do say that, that you don't really get how much you love them, what the value, what the, what the price tag on that is. It's massive. So a few years back, I, I sat with a, a young lady. Um, she'd made a profession of faith. She, she just entered yet another destructive relationship. And she sort of knew that, A, it wasn't right, and B, it was going to wreck things in the future, but she just wanted it anyway. So I talked to her about the rights and wrongs of it, and she knew that, she knew, and then I said, okay, well, let, let me ask you this then. You know, who is Jesus for you? And she said, oh, hold on, Steve. I know. I know he's my husband and that he loves me more than anybody else, but that's not really what I want. See, she was simultaneously really honest, wasn't she? But incredibly stupid. She was completely blind. I said, if you knew 
that he had the apple of his eye, that you had the desires of his heart, that he would leave heaven and enter into a place where he would be used and abused, disrespected, and he would come and rescue you, kicking and screaming because you wanted to stay in the pigsty in which he found you. If you knew that love, that love that binds us up and makes us whole and makes us sing and fills us with joy, that love and that joy that you can't find anywhere else, do you really think you'd be saying that's not what you want? What was the problem? It was that she was... She was blind. You don't know, do you? Do you know I wish I knew? I wish I knew moment by moment. I forget. Do you forget? Of course you forget. Well, how are we going to get it when we forget? Here we are, point three. How do we, how do we get prayer? Verse 17 and 18. Let me, let me show you what he prays is. Very importantly. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his his glorious inheritance in the saints. Let me jump down as well, down to verse 21. Uh, Who far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that be given, be given, not only in the present age but in the one to come, and God placed all things under his feet, this is Jesus, and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Very quickly, sometimes I see this problem, this issue in my girls, you know, five little daughters, um, thankfully their hormones aren't raging yet, but it's only a matter of time, so I've got that one that's going to come at me, but sometimes you see it when I... So I walk into their bedroom, they haven't spotted me, and I just spot one of them. And you can tell as a dad, that you can tell that they don't know quite what's wrong. I don't, but they feel low, I'm, but I know what it is. And it's when they spot me that they figure out what it is. It's just being a little vulnerable little child. And what they do is they see me walk into the room, and they look low, and they look empty, and they look down, and they see me, and it almost makes it worse. And then I move towards them, and they just give me the biggest, 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 biggest hug. What's happened there? Without even realising it, the thing that they were missing was the love and security of their earthly dad. And when they see their earthly dad, they just feel it more acutely that they haven't got it. And then when they get the hug, it's all alright, isn't it? Have you noticed how we're sometimes like that? I know I belong to Jesus. But sometimes I just need to really know it. You know, I know that he's my, God is my father, but I need to really know it. And Paul says that it shouldn't be wrong for us to seek that. In fact, he says, why don't you ask for it? You see it there, I ask for you pray. In fact, in chapter 3, he goes on, he uses the word, I want you to grasp it, I want you to lay hold of it. I'm going to pray that God would give you the sense of his love and his grace in your life. At steady state as believers, it's almost like, here's dad, walk along, and he holds our hands as we walk along. But every now and again, that same dad just grabs us, sweeps us off our feet, and brings us up into his arms. And Paul says, I want that to be your experience. In God's appointment and at God's timing, I want you to know that. So what has to happen? 
Well, he has to intervene, God. He says, I pray, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you. You need to receive something. He has to do it. You can't work it up. It is not a, uh, it's not a formula, a recipe, or a technique. This is something that is gifted to you by grace. You cannot do it without him. He intervenes and by his spirit comes and gives you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And this is greatness because here in the Bible we've been told, pray this, ask for this. And my wife has been permanently altered by having children. Um, In all manner of ways, but one of the ways is just that she just manages to maintain a blank look. There's all this going on around her. Please have some food. She's yanking my hair. Why aren't we going out? Why am I jumping? What's going on here? And she's just like, serenely going through it. I'm like, but it's it's sort of left her altered to the point where she just blanks out the asking, 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 asking. And by her blanking, she's almost saying, don't ask me anymore. I'm in my happy place. I'm recovering. I'm being restored. Ah! And sometimes we can, because our mums, I guess that's, she's not the only one like I'm guessing that because our mums and our parents sometimes might have done to that, what we do is we communicate to our kids, don't bother me, I'm not interested, I won't listen when you ask. In fact, we often say that. I know what you want, you ask me again, you ain't getting it. Am I the only one who said that? Oh no. In fact, that's number one weapon in my arsenal. That's the way I deal with it, okay? So what the danger is, is we take that and we imprint that on God. If you go through the Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the biggest things that he tells us to do, yes, is put our faith in him, yes, is love other people. The other one is, ask, ask, ask. In fact, it's as good. in Isaiah 62, God just basically says, uh, he says, I'm going to put people on the city wall who will pray and give me no rest. He's basically saying, pester me for this. You need this so much that I give you permission to pester me. That the eyes of your heart may be in line to see and know me better. Ask me. I will not blank you out. I will hear. Ask me. Ask me. Ask me. And we're asking everything. Every man and his dog to provide us with life. And he's saying, ask me. Me. Ask me. It can only come through him. What else do we see here? What else is, how else do we get it? Well, we get it by verse 18, by expecting change. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So what we say, the eyes of the heart. The heart is not the place where we feel in the Bible. I know we have sort of our Valentine's Day nice heart there. But the heart in the Bible is not the seat of emotion. It's like the steering wheel of the life. It's the driving seat. It's the motivation. It's the thing that affects change in every area of your life. And he says, okay, if you're going to pray, you need to know what to expect. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. That is a prayer to expect change. When you pray that and say, Lord, I want to see what you're like, know you, taste this love, don't expect to be the same again. You know, C.S. Lewis has that illustration, doesn't he? He says, look, when we, when often when we become a, a believer in Jesus Christ, we trust in him and we expect him just to spruce up the house of our life, maybe clean a few windows, maybe take out the dustbin. And suddenly he arrives, and what's he start doing? Removing the, the roof, knocking out walls, building an extension, and leaving you totally unlike what you expected when you entered the deal. 
And here we're being told, expect that. Because when the eyes of your heart are enlightened, so that you can see who God is, you will not be left the same. Finally, what else do we have to do? Well, it's in verse 20. Think of Christ. Think of who he is. And God, sorry, verse 22. And then God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. That word everything implies the whole world. So one day, everybody will see that Jesus Christ is Lord over all. You say, how does that help me to want to pray? It's when you realise that the God who is over all also prays. Do you realise we're the only religious faith community in the world that has a God who is weak enough and became weak enough that he had to pray? In fact, in John chapter 17, it's the night before Jesus would die, and he prays a prayer for his people. Effectively, it's very similar to this one. He prays the prayer, Lord, help them to know um, your glory, my glory. In other words, help me to see the riches they have. Help them to see those riches. He prays that. But the only way that that prayer could be answered, and he knows this, is if those same riches get removed from him. So effectively, what is, what is he praying? He's praying in the garden there. He prays, I want them to have this. I want them to have an inheritance. I want them to have the power that only I can bring. I want them to know the love of God. I want that to be the source of their life and the only way they will get it, Heavenly Father, is if you take it from me. For I must go to the cross and pay for their sin. I must be cut off. I must be made powerless. I must be hated. I must take on their sin so that they can be reunited with the God who made them and loved them. I pray this, Lord, I do this so that you must answer all their prayer. And when you dwell on that and you think that Christ would do that for you and me, do you want to pray? Do you want to trust? Of course you do. So what do we do with prayer as we finish? Well, I hope this almost answers itself. And you start thinking, Steve, well, why have we talked about this sort of thing when we talked about a thing about together on a mission? What is it we're supposed to do with this kind of prayer? Walk away and say, oh, nice thing. Very much. You waved your arms a lot, yelled. Good. Good. I like that. What are we supposed to do with this kind of prayer? Praise! For who? Ourselves. Each other. People around us. It's not difficult to figure out. Think concentric circles. Me in the middle. So when you get up in the morning, say, Lord, I realise that my head and my heart are telling me that all my emotional energy, my excitement, must be everything I've got to do and the place I've got to be and the people I'm around. Say, whoa, hold horses. Hold on. Slow down. Lord, please, this morning, would you make sure that the big thing that sets me for going into all those situations is that I know, I know the riches that I have in Jesus. The first order of my day this morning, Lord, is to delight my heart in you. And as I do that, I go out from a place of strength into everything else. Lord, would you help me as I go out? But not just me. I pray the same thing for my church family. And I know the things that are big on their horizon because I've had coffee with them. And I've talked to them after the service. And I know what's going on in their life. And I know that such and such has got this to deal with. And such and such has got that to deal with. And such and such has got those things to deal with. And I pray that in time you would work those things through. But for them, make the big thing there for them the fact that they can see 
which they are in Jesus if they're trusting, as their, uh, trusting in him as their king. Do you get that? This is what, this is what I pray for all of you. And I know you're sitting there, well, stay with you, John, I'll pray for the fixing of my hemorrhoids. Maybe I will. But the thing I pray for you is that you'll not just know it, the love of God, but you'll know it. But then it doesn't stop with me, people in our church family, my family. It's this estate, isn't it? What does this estate need more than anything else? This estate, we know it. Our friends, our family who live in this estate, they're all asking. They're asking, where can I find riches and life and substance and hope and strength? And they walk into the Morrisons and they see the bookstore and it's there, isn't it? On every glossy magazine cover, there is the promise of life and riches and substance and hope. If I get a name, if I'm famous, if I have this kind of car, if I look like this person in that kind of dress, if I go there, if I succeed in this, if I have this kind of lipstick, then I'll get it. And so we go up to the books and it's like we're asking, and they go up to the books and it's like they're asking. And they're lured in. And we're lured in. And we pay for that book at our expense. And it doesn't deliver. And we're just as lifeless and fragile as we were before. And Paul says to us, will you pray for people? Will you pray that they would come to know the one? The one they've really been asking for. The one that offers life and riches and hope. And he offers at his expense. He says, have me. Speak. Speak. Have me. Will we pray that? We must pray that, mustn't we? We must. Because that is our Heavenly Father. I'll give you a moment just to quiet. I'm going to sing how deep the Father's love for us. And it's a prayer. And I want you to just be praying it for you, that you really know it. Would you pray it for people around you in this room? Would you pray it for our estate? That we would be together on a mission. Showing people there they can go and find the one who they've been asking for without even realising it.